0: Well, good morning. I, too, want to welcome you to Cornerstone. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's a great privilege to be with you here for our fifth week in this Waking Up in Vegas series. If you don't have a set of sermon notes and you'd like to follow along that way, just put your hand up. One of our ushers will be sure to get you a copy. And, and this morning, we're going to be talking about waking up to shame. And I want to start off with a story, but I've got to be perfectly honest with, with you. There's a lot about this story that I just don't remember. Remember? OK I, I really don't remember falling asleep behind the wheel of my Ford F150 on that hot July morning. I, I don't remember drifting left of center as I ran the red light. I, I don't remember even the point of impact when I collided with the semi-tractor trailer. I, I don't remember the sound of metal being torn from the frame of my truck as I just slid on down the side of that flatbed behind the trailer. There's a lot that I don't remember. Uh, but really the first thing I remember is waking up, I remember seeing a police officer, I remember seeing this crowd of people, and I remember feeling this intense shame. And it, it wasn't because I had caused an accident, it was because of what I was wearing, and, and really more accurately, what I wasn't wearing, okay, okay. I want to invite you just to rewind the clock with me. About an hour and a half before my accident, I was uh, in high school uh, the summer between my junior and senior year. And I was out with a group of uh, friends. We'd been at a local lake uh, all night. I was up all night at the lake. And, and early that morning after uh, sunrise, I was standing on a culvert. If you guys know what a culvert is, uh, I, I, it was just this concrete structure that allowed water to flow under. Uh, the, the land there. And so I was on this culvert and I was about this high from the water. And one of my friends thought it'd be funny to just push me into the lake. And so he did. And he pushed me into the lake, and I was soaked. But the problem wasn't just that I got wet. It was shallow there, and it was muddy there. And so when I went in, you know, I kind of, you know, it caught me by surprise. And so I'm going off this way, and I land in the water, and, and I get stuck in the mud. I mean, it's in it's like It was like 12 inches deep. It was just nasty. Nasty, sticky, stinky mud, muck. And it was one of those things that as I got up and I was trying to walk back, I, 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 it was, I was doing, you know, In fact, I lost a shoe, okay? It was nasty! Did I mention that it was nasty? It was nasty, okay? And when I got out of the water, I I mean, we were just there at the lake. We weren't camping. We weren't swimming. I didn't have a towel. I didn't have a change of clothes. And and so I had to decide, like, how am I going to get home? I was an hour from home, and I really didn't want to get in my truck smelling like that and that wet. And so I I took my shirt off, and I tried to kind of just wipe myself off, but it was muddy and it was wet. I really only succeeded in smearing all the nastiness around. And so I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to drive home in my tidy whities right? So I, I, for the first time, made my own pair of cut off jeans. I'd never done it before. And uh, when I put my, my, my newly cut off jean shorts back on, you might be saying, I thought you said it was July. Why are you wearing jeans? Okay, now just remember, I'm in Ohio. It's July. Yes, it was hot, but in Ohio, they have mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds, okay? So I had jeans on that, that, that night. I put those jeans back on, and I realized that I'd cut them off way too short. It was so short, in fact, that the pockets hung out the bottom of my jeans. Right now, I'm sorry. I had a I had an 80 year old woman come up to me after the first service and say, "Josh, I just can't get that image out of my mind." You and I was like, "Please wipe it out of your mind." But that's the truth. That's I woke up after having caused this accident. I got I, and you know what? If I'd just been able to get home, I mean, I could got in my truck and if I could just got home, I could snuck in the house. I could put some real clothes on, right? i have been fine. And I got almost all the way home, but because I'd been up all night, I fell asleep. Uh, and, and ran through an intersection. Unfortunately, that semi had, you know, was almost stopped because he had a red light, and, and so I, I didn't cause too much damage to anything but my truck or to any individual, but can I just tell you, when I woke up, I woke up to shame. Have you been there? I, I'm not talking about the cut-off shorts with the pockets hanging out. Not, no, but have you, have you ever been in a place where you woke up to shame? You know, shame is what we experience when something we've been covering is exposed. In fact, when you go back to the, 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 the root word for that sound, or the, the word that we think uh, our word for shame originated from, it, it literally means to cover. And shame is what we, you experience when something you are covering gets exposed. And we're going to see in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 12. In fact, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. It's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have all the scripture in the sermon notes this week, but the whole passage isn't there together. And so if you're like me and you read your Bible on an electronic device, get there. If you have, your, if you have an old-fashioned, fa- actually, paper with print on it, um, grab that, John chapter 8. 2 through 12, and what we're going to see in this story, uh, there are really three characters, three primary characters before, besides Christ, and they're all trying to cover something. They're all covering something that if it gets exposed, they will wake up to shame, okay? John chapter 8, verses 2 through 12, and what we're going to see in this passage is that you can be free from your shame. You can be free from your shame. Read it together with me. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. This is Jesus. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And before we go any further, will you pause once more in prayer? Lord, we come to you in this moment so grateful for the freedom that we experience as a result of those who have sacrificed their lives in service to us and our country. Lord, we also come, and we can come because of the freedom that we find in you through the work of Christ on the cross. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we come to your word, Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for the truth that it unpacks for us that we can be free from our shame. And so we pray that as we come that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would change us from the inside out for your good and we are grateful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I said there are three characters in the story. There's the crowd. There are the religious leaders. And there's the woman. Three characters besides Jesus. And each of them are, are covering something in their life that if exposed will cause them shame. And here's what I want to ask you to do with me over the next 20 minutes. Will each of you work hard to identify personally with one of the characters in the story? Can you do that? Try to find one of the characters in the story that you can relate to. And and the reason why I want you to do that, because it will help you to name your shame. And if you're taking notes, that's our first point. It's important to name your shame. And the reason that it's important to name your shame is you can't be free from your shame until you can name your shame the first character we're gonna look at is the crowd and the crowd the crowd was covering their indecision look at verse 2 again and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them now I want you to under or circle that word again Jesus appeared again to the crowd and here's why he had to appear again because this group of people had been following him off and on for about the last six months you can see in chapter 7 that it's the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles so it's the fall of the year and you go back into chapter 6 and it was the feast of passover back in the spring so about, for about six months this group of people had been following jesus trying to decide whether or not they were going to follow him and if you look in chapter 7 some of the people think that he's a good teacher some of them think he's a prophet some of them want to make him king others want to have him falsely arrested they're undecided but they showed up that morning to hear him teach They were undecided about Jesus, but still arrived early to hear him teach. And they were in the temple courts. And you can bet that if at that moment, the indecision in their hearts had been exposed, they would have been ashamed. They were in church. They were supposed to have already made up their minds, right? So you have the crowd who was trying to cover their indecision. Next, you have the religious. And the religious were covering their hypocrisy. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher. Now I stop right there because that word teacher, it's also translated master. It was a, it was a greeting that communicated respect and even a position of authority. And, and listen, these guys right here, These religious leaders, they didn't mean that. Just if you go back to the end of chapter 7, they just tried to have him falsely arrested. And they went home mad because they couldn't arrest Jesus. Now they're coming to him the very next morning and they're saying, Master, teacher. No, what were they doing? They were covering their hypocrisy. They weren't interested in listening to Jesus. No, they were trying to cover the gap between their inner self and their outer self, right? What do we call someone who has a gap between their inner self, and their outer self? What do we call them? What do we call someone who practices one thing and preaches another? What do we call them? Go ahead, tell me. Hypocrite. hypocrite, right? A hypocrite is someone who's simply not themselves on Sunday, right? A hypocrite is someone who complains about the sex, the nudity, and the violence on their DVR. Did you get that? The, the, their DVR. Okay, Uh, you know, every once in a while, someone will say to me, oh man, I don't do the church thing, I'm not gonna go to church, there's just, church is full of hypocrites. You know what I always say back? Oh, that's okay, come on down, we got room for one more, right? Listen, think about it. Think about it. If a hypocrite is standing between you and God, does that mean that the hypocrite is actually closer to God than you are? And and I say all that, here's why. Because we have to be careful when we start to identify and criticize hypocrisy in others. Because truth be told, every single one of us can relate to these religious leaders. Every single one of us have a gap between what's really going on inside of us and what we want everyone else to think is going on outside of us, right? Can you relate? Listen, these religious leaders, they were hypocrites. And they, were just wor- they weren't interested in listening to Jesus. They were interested in covering up the gap between their inner man and their outer man. And if they would have been exposed, they would have been ashamed. But then we have our third character in the story. And she really didn't have a choice. Because this woman could no longer cover her brokenness. And this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in a matter of moments, she had her brokenness exposed to the world, and she was experiencing brokenness in three primary areas. The first, she was experiencing a broken reputation. She, she, she had, her, her reputation was shot. And she came to Jesus humiliated. I want you to look at verse four. This woman has been caught, circle this phrase, in the act, in the act of adultery. One of the things I love about God's word is that God, when he had it recorded, he just didn't pull any punches. It was in the act. I want you to think for a second about this woman and, and, and the early that morning, the, the, the doors to her bedroom being, uh, uh, being uh, opened and strangers coming in At her most intimate of moments and grabbing her, and maybe she had time to grab a sheet to cover herself, maybe she didn't, but they grabbed her and took her out of her bedroom and through the streets and brought her into the temple courts, into the foyer of the church and put her in front of everybody. This woman was humiliated and her reputation was broken. Next, she was experiencing broken relationships. Broken relationships. And she came to Jesus alone. They put her in the midst. And we've all had that, that feeling of crowded loneliness, you know, when we're surrounded with people, but we realize that we, we really are alone. But even beyond that, I want you to just put yourself in the place of this woman. I, I don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was in her marriage relationship, what it was in her past, what it was and who she was that caused her to, to seek to fulfill her physical and, and her emotional and, and, and her sexual needs outside of her marriage relationship. No doubt from her perspective, something was broke in her marriage relationship. But now, she, as she's making her way uh, to the temple courts, and, and as she's standing there, what must have been going through her mind, she had to wonder, how did they know where I would be and what I would be doing? This man that I was with just moments earlier, who I, who I had this, this attachment to and had these hopes for, was he a part of this? Where is he? Broken relationships. She was alone. And then finally, she was experiencing a broken future. I mean, she was just flat out guilty. And the Pharisees, they, they quoted the law. Of Moses, which commanded that she should be stoned, that she should be beaten to death with rocks. And the woman, by no choice of her own, was exposed. And while this felt devastating, it was the beginning of a great new life. And I'm not comfortable with that statement. I wrote that statement, but it made it past my edit yesterday. I want you, if you're taking notes, just put a line through great, because that's preacher talk right there. The Bible doesn't tell us that she had a great new life. There were things from uh, from her decision. There was brokenness that she would carry throughout the rest of her life. But the point that we can see is that she did experience, as a result of the interaction we're about to see with her and Jesus, she did experience a new life, and she did experience hope and forgiveness that came as a result of having what she had been working hard to cover exposed. It came as a direct result of her being able to name her shame, and the thing that we have to make sure that. We understand one of the main things we have to grab from this passage is that we shouldn't work so hard to conceal our shame. No, as long as we keep our shame covered, we can't find freedom. You know what we should fear? We should fear concealment more than shame. When you look at these three characters in the story—the crowd and the religious leaders and the woman—only one of them found freedom from her shame. Man, the religious leaders are able to sneak out of there and they feel like they're still concealing their hypocrisy. The crowd, they were able to stay there in their indecision without having it exposed, but the woman, by no choice of her own, was confronted with the shame of her brokenness. And as a result of being able to name her shame, she finds freedom. And so I want to ask you, I asked you at the beginning, can you relate to any of the characters in the story? Is there indecision in your life when it comes to God? God? What he's asking of your life and his hopes for your life. Do, do you have hypocrisy? Is there this growing gap between who you are on the inside and who you project to everyone else? Or are you trying so hard, hoping desperately to cover the brokenness of your life and your circumstances? Listen, if you can name your shame, then you're ready for our next point. You're ready to meet the light. At the end of this passage, John or in John 8, and verse 12, Jesus said, your blank there is meet the light. In verse 12, Jesus said, when uh, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we work so hard to conceal our brokenness. And the funny thing is we work hard to conceal it from a God who already knows it. <laughs> But what Jesus said is I am the light and my hope is that you will come to me and you will meet the light and you will never have to walk in shame or darkness again. And what we're gonna see here is that in each of these characters as they interact with Jesus, each of them are gonna experience his grace. The the, the crowd, Jesus graciously remains available to the undecided. Jesus graciously remains available for the undecided. At dawn he appeared again Again, circle that word. See Jesus kept coming back to teach, and, and even though these people had been followed, had been off and on checking Jesus out for six months and they didn 't know what they were undecided, can I just encourage you if you were here and you wouldn 't want anyone to know that you 're undecided when it comes to Jesus? Can I just tell you that we so love the fact that this is a place where you feel like you can come and be undecided about jesus and here 's our commitment to you we 're going to do what jesus did we 're just going to keep coming again. Every weekend at 5 and 6.30 on Saturday nights, at 9 and 10.20 and 11.40 on Sundays, we're going to be here and we're going to communicate God's truth to you. And we're going to hold up his word because we believe that if you'll just keep coming back and you'll get to know Jesus like we know Jesus and you'll see who he is and his plan for your life, that you're not going to be able to help but to fall in love with him. So can I just tell you, when you meet me after the service, don't try to cover up the fact that you're undecided. Say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and and I want you to know I'm decided, and I'm just going to say, good, come back. Jesus, he just, he was there again. Jesus graciously remains available to the undecided, and next we're going to see that Jesus graciously exposes the hypocrisy of the self righteous He graciously exposes the hypocrisy of the self righteous. Look at verse 5 and 6. They say, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Now, the truth of the matter is, that's not what Moses commanded. They were misquoting scripture, which religious people are really good at doing. And Jesus doesn't even respond. Jesus just kinda kneels down and starts to write in the ground. You know what I think he might have been writing? I think he might have been actually writing Leviticus 20 and verse 10, which is the law. Can I read it for you? The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Who was missing in this story? Tell me, say it out loud. The man, the man was missing. And what Jesus, was, what Jesus, he didn't have to respond to their self-righteous accusation. He could call out without even words their hypocrisy. They weren't interested in justice. No, they thought they could catch Jesus in a trap in God's demand for justice and Jesus' demand for grace and love and forgiveness. They thought they had him trapped. But Jesus, the fact that they didn't bring that man... <coughs> Just, just called him out on that double standard that exists to this day, right? When a woman is involved in sexual sin and, and a, a sexual relationship outside of her marriage, there are derogatory terms associated with her, when it's, and, and she is looked down upon. When it's a guy, there's a double standard. The terms we use for him are totally different in our culture, and it exists in church and it exists in the world. And it's wrong. And Jesus graciously exposes the self righteousness of the religious, of the hypocrites. And the point here is that Jesus can accuse the accusers. That's the point. You know what, though? The grace, the grace is, think about it. If Jesus hadn't pointed out their self-righteous hypocrisy, they would have added to their list of sins murder in that moment. And Jesus, in his grace, even by exposing their hypocrisy, saves them from adding murder to their list. Jesus is kind of like that American Idol judge, right? You know, the one who... Like that person who has that gap between who they really are and who they think they are, they come and they sing, but they can't sing, and no one has ever loved them enough to tell them that they can't sing. You know? He, he's, he's that American Idol judge that says, uh, listen, you can't sing, I'm just going to save you from the embarrassment of going on. It's gracious. It's gracious. He reveals, exposes the hypocrisy of the self righteous He remains available to the undecided, exposed to the hypocrisy of the self-righteous, and then he graciously loves those who admit their brokenness. And guys, listen. In this interaction between the woman and Jesus, I believe we get a better picture of the character of Christ than any place else in scripture. I love this interaction. He graciously loves those who admit their brokenness. The first thing Jesus does is he takes the attention off of her. Now I just want you to put yourself in the place of that woman and remember she came in humiliated. Maybe she had a chance to cover herself, maybe she didn't, but she is there in the middle of church and every eye is on her. She is a spectacle and they make this accusation and Jesus doesn't respond. He just masterfully, without even a word, takes all of the attention off of her and puts it all on himself, right? What would happen? They're all looking at her. They ask this question. Jesus doesn't say a word. Instead, he gets down here and he begins to write in the ground. You know, he probably didn't write Leviticus 20 verse 10. He probably was just drawing smiley faces. It didn't matter. The point is, he took the attention off of that woman. And you know what he did then? He put all the attention back on her accusers look again at verse 7 when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and said to them let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her and then he stoops back down and he wrote on the ground a second time you know this time i like to imagine that maybe he just began to write out the names of the accusers and then just draw a little dotted line and then began to write some of their own brokenness some of their own sinfulness i don't know what he did but while he was writing beginning at the oldest down to the youngest the accusers began to walk away and at this verse 9 those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only jesus was left with the woman still standing there verse 10 so jesus stood up and said to her listen the next thing jesus did is jesus stood alone with her She came to him with a broken reputation, with broken relationships, and a broken future. And Jesus stood alone with her. Now just make sure you don't misunderstand here. Jesus wasn't dismissing her sin. He wasn't diminishing the consequences of her sin. Listen, Jesus, as the all-knowing, all-seeing God of the universe, he understood the consequences of her sin, the brokenness that that particular sin causes in, in relationships and in homes. He understood that, and he hated that sin. But he stood alone with her. And not only did he stand alone with her, but he offered her forgiveness and hope for the future. Now, this is significant. Don't miss this. Because the Old Testament law set a standard for judgment for her particular sin. It was to be beaten to death with a stone. And, and then Jesus set a standard for anyone to be able to carry out that judgment. He said, Whoever is, if there's anyone here who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Can I just ask you at that point in time, was there anyone who was able to carry, who met that standard, who was able to carry out that judgment? What do you think? There sure was. And he was standing alone with the woman right there. See, Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He had lived a life of perfect love and service to God, his Father, and to mankind. And at that point, Jesus could have very easily and and been fully justified, bent over and picked up one of those stones that the accuser would have carried in for that woman, and he could have carried out that judgment. He met the standard. But what does he say? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. She calls him Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And, 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 and no, he didn't wipe away the consequences of her sin, but he offered her forgiveness and he offered her hope for a future. Go now and leave your life of sin. Would she already always be known as adulteress? You know, the next day when she walked down the street, when she got the courage finally to leave the house again, she would have that title of adulteress. But she, she wouldn't have it with the only person whose opinion mattered, Jesus's opinion. And Jesus could offer this new start. You know why? Because Jesus personally took the judgment for her sins. And I know that a lot of us in here have been in church for a long time and you're probably familiar with this story. But my guess is that this may be new for you. Because Jesus gave her hope, he offered her forgiveness, and he sent her away, go and leave your life of sin. You have new life in me. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. And then he continued to speak and he addresses the crowd again, the undecided who were still there. And he says, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And he continues to teach They begin to question him, and at the end of the chapter, he says that he is Jehovah God. He is the God, the creator God of the Old Testament. He claims boldly to be God in human flesh, and it so angers the people. Look at verse 59, the end of the chapter. Remember, it's the same story. He's in the same place where that woman had been brought to him, and what do they do? They take up stones to throw at him. What you gotta see is those stones that were brought into the temple court to be thrown and execute judgment on that woman at the end of the chapter, just moments later, were picked back up to be thrown at Christ. And that's the perfect picture of what Jesus did on every single one of our behalfs. Personally took the judgment for our sins. Look, church... <laughs> We gotta know that waking up in shame, waking up to shame can be a good thing because when something that's negative or, or foolish or sinful in our life is exposed and we experience the shame associated with it, we have the opportunity to confess it, to receive forgiveness, and to begin a new life of freedom. You know, that accident that I shared with you at the beginning, ah, I was so fortunate not to get injured myself or to hurt anyone else. But can I just tell you that that moment of waking up to shame and the moments that followed there were some foolish decisions some sinful choices and habits that i had been developing in my life as a young man that as a result of that accident god began to get my attention and allow me to experience some renewal for my life don't spend any more time working to keep your shame covered You can can go down the road of the religious or the crowd and you can escape this morning without any embarrassment or you can by choice choose to confess to a God who already knows your shame and find freedom and find hope for your future. Name your shame and meet the light. And I know we have one more blank but I'm gonna give it to you after we pray. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? I wanna to talk to those of you, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna to talk to those of you who are here and, and have not yet decided to follow Jesus. You were at the beginning of our, our, our talk tonight and you were able to name your shame. Maybe you've been undecided, maybe there's, there's this, yeah you know, working so hard to cover, co- uh, cover the, the gap between who you are on the inside and who you want others to think you are on the outside. Maybe you're just, man, here in the midst of brokenness. And you can name your shame, but you've never come to the place like that woman where you've stood before Jesus and you've stood exposed and you've just simply confessed to him that, God, I am broken. I have fallen short of your perfect standard of love and you have never reached out to him and asked him to forgive you for that sin, actually accepted the work that he did on your behalf on the cross. If you're here this morning and that's you, you said, Josh, I I can name my shame, but I've never met Jesus, but I wanna meet him this morning right now. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? I wanna pray with you. Just put your hand up right now if that's you. Yeah, I see you right there, man. Yeah, awesome, I see that. Yeah, right down front, all over the room, I see that. Keep them up high for just a second. I want to see you up in the balcony. Yeah, I see you. Okay, you can put them down. Would you pray with me right now from your heart? Oh, God, I confess to you, I agree this morning that I fall short of your perfect standard of love. I have fallen short, and I come to you broken. I come ashamed. But I believe that you love me, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sins, and this morning, I want to meet him. I choose to follow him with my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Amen. Don't, don't put your heads up yet, because there are a lot of us in this room who've... who've We've met Jesus, we came to the point where we made that decision, but at some point, at some point over the last months and years, maybe you've allowed some indecision to creep back in. And and, and maybe your shame was this this the state of hypocrisy that is you've worked hard to cover, but it just keeps growing. Maybe there's brokenness in your heart. And this morning, what you'd like to say is just, oh, fresh and new, God, I, I, I choose to follow you and your light. And fresh and new this morning, you want just, to just say to God, oh God, I'm uncovering my shame. I'm going to confess it to you in this moment. You're going to name it specifically out to him, and then you're going to, you're going to get back in his light, and you're going, to, you're going to commit to following that light. You'd like to do that right now. You'd like to nail that down fresh and new. Would you just put your hand up? I want to pray with you as well. If that's you, put it up high all over the room all over the room. Keep them up up in the balcony, all over the room. Listen, as I pray, you pray personally. You can put those down. Name that shame. God knows it. Name it out. Name it from your heart to him. Pray with me as I pray. Oh God, I confess to you again my brokenness. I confess to you my hypocrisy. I confess to you my indecision. It's so easy for me to allow outside forces and my own selfish desires to lead me away from the life that you've called me to live, but this morning again I choose to follow your light. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that is new every day. Thank you that I can be free from my shame. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Guys look up here. I'm going to give you your last blank. So you can name your shame and once you've met the light here's what you need to do. You just need to stay in the light. Stay in the light. You know, 2,000 years ago when Christ left the earth, he was the light of the world and he left the earth. And the Bible teaches us that he's in in heaven right now preparing a place for all of us who know him to spend eternity with him. Now be careful, you you put your last blank in. Don't pack up yet, just hang with me. One more minute. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but the light left. (laughs) What did he leave behind? He left his church and he left his spirit, but the light that he left behind is his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And God has given us his word and we get to to have it with us. And his word has the instructions, his plan, his heart for our life. Can I just encourage you today? Would you decide before you leave tomorrow you're going to spend five minutes and you're going to start at this story with John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery and you're going to read the rest of the chapter and then the next day you're going to get in and you're going to read John chapter 9 and you're going to just see the character and the nature of Christ. Listen, don't go a whole week without coming to the light. Stay in the light. Look, we love you so much here at Cornerstone, but more importantly, God loves you. Thanks so much for being here. If you're a guest with us, maybe it's your first time or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you like just the chance to say, hey, man, this is what God's doing in my life or you just wanna shake my hand. I got a book I'd love to put in your hand. If you're a guest, everyone is gonna go that way. But if you're a guest, would you just come this way? I'm gonna be right down here. I'd love to shake your hand. Pray with you if you need that. Thanks for being here. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We love you.